Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. Glad to bring together my best friends and strongest advocates that I know in the CF world. We're joined by five of the six foundation execs who make up the CF Engagement Network. CFEN advocates for patients' access and so much more. Emily Kramer Golenkoff couldn't join us today, but she is a critical partner of our group. Her foundation, Emily's Entourage, accelerates CF research. Now, we met long before we joined CFEN. The Bonnell Foundation reaches out to parents, gives financial assistance for medical bills, lung transplant grants, and college scholarships, and we'll go around the podcast so that everyone can briefly introduce themselves and their foundation. And we start with Brian in Florida. Hi, I'm Brian Callanan. I'm the founder, executive director of the Cystic Fibrosis Lifestyle Foundation, uh, incorporated in 2003. We've been providing recreation grants to help people overcome financial barriers to exercise since 2007, currently helping people around the country. So pretty excited to be here. Thanks for putting this together, Laura. It's great to have all of us together. And next, we're going to go to Emily in Detroit. What's up? up? Yes, good to see you uh, on FaceTime again or whatever we're doing, Zooming. Um, I founded the Rock CF Foundation uh, here in Detroit in 2007 to create and heighten awareness about cystic fibrosis in our community. Um, And now, 12, 13 years later, it's uh, gone, you know, international almost with our line of merchandise that we sell to heighten awareness. And then we also support those with CF by um, hooking them up with running shoes to get them out there and get them active because exercise is so important to us. So we're continuing to grow, but uh, working together with all these organizations is amazing. It is. And then Jerry Cahill in New York. Hey, Laura, how are you? How's everybody? Well, I'm a volunteer at the Boomer Sison Foundation and post-double lung transplant eight years, uh, obviously cystic fibrosis. I'm old with CF, 63. And I do a lot of um, advocacy work at the Boomer Sison Foundation, a lot of educational programs, uh, podcasts, uh, wind sprints, and we do a lot of events, uh, bike to breathe, run to breathe. So... uh, pretty much involved in a lot of different areas and do a lot of grant writing. And then your um, partner in New York is Lee Becker. Hi, Lee. Hi, Laura. How are you? How hope everybody is coping well these days. Definitely uncharted uh, waters for us and everybody out there. And I think coming together to help everybody overcome whatever challenge you have is why we're here. And it's not that often you get a, a group of advocacy partners to get together less on behalf of the CF population or any disease state for that matter. So it's uh, it, it's great to be part of this. And um, we're here to, you know, help the lives of those with the disease and their face have a better quality of life. And then from California, Siri Vaith. Did I say your last name correct after all you these You did. Vaith. Yeah, I always tell people. Rhymes with faith. <laughs> 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 um, 
I am Siri Vaith. I'm the Executive Director of CFRI, Cystic Fibrosis Research Incorporated, and we did incorporate in 1975. This is our 45th anniversary this year, unbelievably. Our name, I will jump right in and say, is a misnomer because, yes, we fund innovative basic science research to help find new strategies um, and therapies for CF. But we also provide a lot of educational programs, conferences, podcasts, a weekly e-newsletter. Um, we do a tremendous amount of psychosocial support, and that is everything from wellness programs, yoga, mindfulness classes, uh, to support groups, and we actually support counseling services for people nationwide. We are in California, but we do serve the national community. And then the last thing um, that's a major part of what we do is advocacy so that we are keeping the best interests of our CF community at the forefront for our state and federal decision makers. And I have to say, it is such an honor to work with this group of people that are here on this podcast. We, we truly are like the puzzle pieces that all fit together uh, to make this powerful movement forward. So thank you, Laura, for pulling this together. This is great. And I was trying to think how we each all met, like some of us, we met before and then we didn't actually meet in person for a long time, but I just think we're so strong together and there's no competition among us at all, which is wonderful. Like if so-and-so needs help or somebody needs help, someone is always there for one another. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about all of our foundations and what we do together. Does anyone want to talk about when we all first met or kind of how we all came together? Or what's I, think one Emily, of I think Emily Scholler was a, a toddler when we met her. <laughs> I haven't gotten any taller, but yes. Uh. <laughs> uh, and Brian Callanan didn't have any uh, gray in his hair. Right, right, yeah. Uh, True. Jerry somehow looks the same. Yes. He's timeless. He's younger. Well, I have to say it was, um, I met many of you before I was actually director of CFRI, and I actually served on the board for many, many years. But what I didn't mention when I was introducing myself is that my whole entree to the world of CF came when my daughter was diagnosed in 1995. And so it's interesting because Tess, as she went through college, had her scholarships from the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Uh, she got a scholarship from the Bunnell Foundation. She was looking into the shoes for the running with Emily. It's been, um, she was a dancer. We actually looked at Brian's website. So um, it's been a wonderful way to, to actually meet people on the other side and then come together um, from the, the direction, advocacy, direction, um, you know, management to these programs, a whole different world. Right. And my Emily got a scholarship, college scholarship from the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Gunnar actually interviewed her. So yeah, we are all connected. And I will say, I think a scholarship is not just who you know with our foundation. You've got to go through Jerry and a rigorous interview process, rigorous application process. It's just, oh, we know her, give her money full. Jerry, would you like to expand on that a little bit? <laughs> we yeah, look like the Brady Bunch here. <laughs> well, actually, I started volunteering at the foundation, and they were giving out one scholarship. It was called the Ambassador Program. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I really didn't understand what this Ambassador Program was. So I created this whole, you know, I love spreadsheets and things of that nature. I had a whole questionnaire plan and I could remember we would take in all these applications and there would be like 250 
that, and it was right before like the Super Bowl, I would be in the office on weekends going through each individual application, their extracurricular activities, and we edit it down, and then I would call them, and that was the worst. I'd say, who are you talking to? And they said, that's my mom. She's standing here. I said, tell your mom to go away. <laughs> We're interviewing you. So, um, but it's a great program, and we give out a lot of scholarships. And actually, speaking of meeting people, I met Lee first um, because I was before transplant. Uh, some people that were on the board at the foundation were at this fundraiser I did at the New York Athletic Club, and they were like, "Well, you should meet Boomer." Because you know, yeah, and Jerry, I think I'll take it here. Was okay. that okay? <laughs> um, just after nine. Um, we were on the 101st floor of the World Trade Center. We, we'd lost everything. Uh, HSBC Bank had graciously offered us office space, beautiful office space overlooking Bryant Park on uh, 40th Street in Manhattan, uh, right on Fifth New. Um, and we're getting, we're, we're in there, we're, we're still a little shaken up, we're still kind of catching up on everything. Um, in walks Jerry and walks into my office and says, you guys don't know what you're doing. You have clue. Now we had already been, you know, nine, 10 years into this. We thought we knew what we were doing, but Jerry brought it to our attention very quickly. Being that Gunner at that time was still uh, a young kid. We really hadn't had much contact with any of the staffers. So Jerry walked in and said, you don't know what you're doing. And this is what you're missing. Adult CF population has been ignored. There are not many of us, but because of the breakthroughs, even back then, you know, we're living longer. Uh, Jerry was 40s at the time, I think. And he said, the adult CF population gets treated like Chevy and Pala, whereas the pediatric community gets Mercedes-Benz treatment. And as soon as we trans, transition from pediatrics into adult care, we're basically forgotten. So Boomer happened to be in that day, and I walked into Boomer's office, and I said, uh, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and uh, our charity, and from that day, we were committed to building the same type of programs and same type of assistance for the adult population, um, being that it was going to be a baby boomer situation. Advances in the CF, uh, uh, in the bio world, in Irma's, the longer everyone was going to live. So as I look at here at, at Emily, I look at Brian, I look at Jerry, you guys are a little old, which is great. Um, <laughs> but there's uh, nothing there for the adult population. So Jerry actually helped us take our mission and really expand on uh, expand into the adult population which was a whole new set of barriers um, and it's still changing right it's I, still changing. It's kids still not getting enough attention well jerry changed us changed our future and changed the landscape i think of how legacy groups think and he's still out there today uh, telling people they're wrong and telling them 
what he feels is the right path. I'm so lovable. Everybody loves me for telling him all these things. <laughs> you are. <laughs> and then I met Emily. Remember, I met uh, Emily was the first person I met, like other than Lee in this room. Emily was rocking out on a guitar. Drums. Drums. Whatever it was. We did a podcast. <laughs> I remember going to that office, I think, um, in 2003 to do that uh, podcast with Jerry. Yeah. When wow. I had a uh, faux hawk. <laughs> really killing it. But yeah, that's when I like, I met Jerry on MySpace and I think probably even Brian too. Oh, MySpace. MySpace, yeah. yeah. So then like to actually, because I, I mean, Jerry is pretty old, but uh <laughs> Being able to see him thriving at his age when I was watching him on MySpace was just inspiring to me to say, okay, this is amazing. And then I started uh, learning more about the BEF and what you guys were doing. And it really inspired me to create Rock's DF, um, but also personally get me off the couch and exercise. So since then, Jerry and I have done, what, six years of 500-mile bike rides. and yeah, Getting ready for we, the next one. I know. Then we hear about Brian. Crazy Brian's swimming eight miles at a time. So... There's a lot of wild people in this group. Yeah, there are. Great and wild. And Emily, when you were still playing in the band, I think that's when I met you. Yeah, I think you came to one of the concerts. Yeah, we first met and you inspired me and your foundation inspired me as well. And you inspired my kids. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, we're we're a good team. We are a good team. So how... Our communities are different, but so united by CF. How do you think Detroit's and all of our communities work together really well, knowing about our different CF communities? Yeah, I think one of the unique things about our CFEN group specifically, and um, Emily's not here from Emily's Entourage, but all of us kind of we help each other out. So like if somebody comes to me for something that we don't offer as a nonprofit, I can send them to Laura or Siri or BEF or Brian, because we all offer different things, even though Brian and I parallel and the exercise, uh, the importance of exercise, he offers these awesome scholarships for people so they can join a gym or take dance classes or swimming. So we will refer people there. And I know you guys do the same for us. So Detroit, they come to you and I, Laura, because we are, um, in Detroit functioning and um, people know about us, but then we can refer them beyond, especially with scholarships. There's so many people from Detroit who have applied for it and gotten BEF scholarships through the years and also Brian's, Brian's programs too. It's just really cool. It is really cool. Special, and yeah. it's wonderful to be able to send people to you, Siri, out in California, um, people who may not have heard of you already. And it's great because we're the two CF moms who our daughters are my oldest and your is Tess your oldest? Tess but, is my oldest. She's yeah, 25 so our, now. Yeah, our oldest are the same age. And so from California to Michigan, we can kind of talk about how our, our girls are doing and, and, and growing also. Well, the amazing thing about all our programs and, you know, because of the cross-infection issues and, you know, the, the, the physical distancing between people with CF that, you know, has been a reality for so long, I think all of us have evolved. All of us may be located in a specific state and not have chapters all across the country, but we serve people across the United States because everything we do is open to everyone. And for CFRI, a lot of what we offer is, is online and has been for years. So it's been interesting with COVID-19 there's a whole other layer of complexity and programming and responsiveness to the crisis 
but our services are still rolling out because much of what we had going was already online. So it's been an interesting time. I think it's been a unique time for our community in, in the face of this pandemic. And it's, we've always said we're a socially isolated disease group. Now it's to the, you know, uber degree of isolation, but it's been interesting seeing the rest of society adapting to what we already know so well. It really has. And I, I also think not every parent has the opportunity to do what we do, or not every person with CF has the opportunity to do what we do and find out what's going on with ICER, for example, or um, the letter that you wrote, Siri, about the ventilators and everything like that. So that, that really are a good resource for them. And then, Lee, your friendship brought you into CF, with, which I just think is amazing. And Brian, you have a Michigan-Florida connection. And a New Jersey connection. New Jersey. New, New Jersey. Jersey, too. Oh, good. All of it. You're yeah. not on, Brian. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> it goes really deep down into the South. Man. You guys finally shut me up. <laughs> But no, I mean, uh, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey and, and, you know, had some of the same doctors that Jerry had growing up and, you know, love, love sharing war stories with Jerry. And, um, but, you know, I, I've just learned so much from um, all of you guys, too. And, uh, you know, that's been such a valuable resource as I, as I continue to try and shape what we do to best meet the needs of the community. But you've also drawn me in so much to the advocacy front where, you know, I, I was always in kind of this, this tunnel vision of, you know, what are the issues that I'm being faced with? But there's so many other issues that, that people are really up against the wall and that we have the community voices to, to make an impact in that. And so... You know, the work that, that Siri does and that um, you guys are doing out in Michigan and, and, and BEF, like, I, I'm so honored to learn from all of you and to, to learn about these issues in ways that, that we can collectively make a difference. I'm so proud to be a part of this partnership with everybody. I think what's really great also is that, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the CEF community that are doing stuff. But we work really well together as a team and we work hard. And, and that's important. It's not about, you know, one person is just sitting in the boat and uh, rowing. Everybody else is, you know, having a bologna sandwich. I mean, we're all working hard on different areas and we're working together as a team. And the teamwork is what's really important. And as Siri brought up, obviously, the pandemic, COVID-19, what do you see as the, like the biggest struggles that we have right now for people with CF? And let's talk about how things that we've been doing to work together to kind of help our communities. Siri, you started by doing the letter so to make sure people with CF had ventilators if they needed them. Well, I mean, clearly all these issues have come up. I mean, the whole thing with so many tens of millions of people unemployed and what that means for health insurance, that triggers a whole other fear for a lot of families that are impacted by CF. The whole issue about being able to get early refills and getting 90 days of refills and that different state insurance commissioners have different policies around that and how can we advocate to make that you know, mandatory for insurers in each state. Family Leave Act, that it should really should be extended for caregivers of kids with chronic disease, including CF, 
And then the issue that we wrote the letter to the um, Secretary Azar for the Department of Health and Human Services was about medical rationing, which has had a lot of attention in the press recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, unbeknownst to all of us, uh, at least 15 states had state emergency plans, crisis plans, in which they specifically mentioned FEV1 measurement, and some of them specifically mentioned CF as a reason to deprioritize a person if there was uh, the need to ration hospital beds and also ventilators. And you know, whoever expected we'd have a pandemic like this and, and yet these things have come out. So I think that was a great, once we realized this, to start taking action and then be able to communicate and we can all share it with our constituencies because the great thing about this group is that we know there's a lot of crossover. So people who may be participating in CFRI programs are also participating in maybe all of your programs. But we also have our own set list. So there's this great cross-fertilization for raising awareness and sharing resources and um, sharing ways people can get engaged. And who would have thought we would have gone from the approval of Trikafta, right, M, right into a pandemic? Trikafta was approved in, what, October? Mm-hmm. And drug pricing was something that was, you know, top of mind in the news, and especially CF patients, because these modulators are so expensive. And now it's like, well, uh, this pandemic hits and we're looking at facing discrimination because of our underlying issues. So what's really amazing uh, as I sit here and talk to you guys is like Siri really like goes right in and knows all these issues. And I'm like, I don't even know what the heck she's talking about half the time. But then I read about it and I'm like, holy cow, yes, put our name on that. That needs to be. So Siri, like you're unbelievable. uh, And thank you for including us and giving us the opportunity to help because the more names and support we can have on the, these letters that we're sending out, the better. Yeah, it's just a really weird time, right? I mean, for us, Rock CF, we're not really seeing, aside from what everyone else is facing, unemployment, food stamps. I've got friends with CF who their unemployment is still under review. They're still not getting an income. So like with those guys, it's like, how can we help? I don't know yet, right? And Because alone, like all of our organizations are fumbling a little bit. I know we are with having enough funding to continue through the year and paycheck protection program, like getting denied and hoping that more money comes for that. So I'm like trying to stay sane personally and figure out how ROCCF is going to continue to function while figuring out how we can help others in our community. So that's where working with you guys really goes a long way, right? Because we put our heads together and kind of come up with a plan. So on that, on the Trikafta piece too, though, like, thank goodness that that has hit the market before this hit the market. Like I I was talking with my CF doctor who's, you know, in and out of the ICU, she's doing four days on four days off and is, you know, risking burnout and exhaustion. But she said, right now we have zero CF patients in the hospital and that's because of Trikafta. So, you know, I, I couldn't imagine the, the amount of, uh, hospital demand for the CF population that there would be and having to risk yourself going in with exposure. But, you know, because of this medication here in Miami to have zero patients in the hospital at this time, unbelievably valuable. I was uh, in for IVs in early March and I'm on Kaleidico, not Trikafta, but I was literally the only patient in the hospital at U of M, which has 300 adults, 400 adults. So it just shows you how big of an impact this drug has made. So thank God I got out of there before the pandem- pandemic really started heating up. But yeah, that just alone was like, holy cow, this drug is really uh, changing lives, right? I think what's really important also that people uh, 
are learning from this in a, a very difficult situation is that people with CF, they, they have to be a lot more independent. They have to be a lot more compliant. You know, the days of, oh, I don't feel well, run to the hospital, they're over. I mean, people with CF, there's not going to be a lot of visits to the hospital. There's not going to be a lot of them using the, uh, getting their uh, FEVs done and all the, the, you know, the testing done because people are going to be afraid of it. So there's going to be a lot more things that people need to do and will do and are doing now to stay healthy. So that means being more compliant because they don't want to go near this Corona. So they're going to be more compliant. They're going to exercise more, practice better nutrition. So overall, I think it's a real positive thing for people with CF to become a lot more independent. Unfortunately, we're dealing with a pandemic, but because of that, like you said, there's nobody in the hospital. Well, nobody wants to go near a hospital. So if that was the case, then, you know, I'm just working harder at home to stay you know, more compliant and healthy. Right. And that's what my daughter Emily said, that the hospital used to be a safe place and it is not at this time. So I agree with you. And then I was talking to my other daughter, Molly, who said, talking about like CF and then people who don't CF, she said, this is the first time for many people who are experiencing their health vulnerability for the first time. And I thought, wow, that's pretty profound of a 25-year-old to say, because I, I didn't really think of it in that, in that vein. But it's true. It's a whole new game from groceries to getting your meds. And it's always been hard. I think pre-pandemic, it would make me crazy. You know, we're out in public and we're traveling and I'm just watching the people sneezing in their hands and the, the wipe on the pants and the Hand hands. It takes everything in me not to go up them and go, here, take some Purell. That was like really disgusting. <laughs> and so now it's been so interesting watching people be so careful, but also like things that are so second nature for us that are really learned behavior. I've, I've really come to appreciate people who think they're very spot on with their hand hygiene and they're not touching the face and they're a little holes in the game the whole way. But I have to circle back to the whole thing about uh, having Trikafta, thank God, prior to this. And um, I have to say that in my final letter to ICER, uh, the group that is reviewing the cost effectiveness and value of this drug, that that was my you know, big thing at hammering home at the end. You know what? This is the drug that's going to help us survive the pandemic. <laughs> like, Don't you mess with access because this is what is going to help people survive. Tough times. And I want to thank God for the Kaleidico. I take my Kaleidico. Hey, you're taking it even after a double transplant. After double lung. It's great for my sinuses. You just I like think, it because it's a little blue pill, Jerry. I like the blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Blue pill. I know. Don't mix them up. Don't mix them up. <laughs> Big Papa. <laughs> well, what are you referring to, Brian? <laughs> the other blue pill. <laughs> it's smaller, though, I think. <laughs> and Lee, you, I think of you as like the ringleader of it all in a very good way, because you're like, this is how the direction we should go, or this, you know, you really bring us back to the reality of what we're trying to do. So what do you look toward for the future? What are your thoughts of where we should go post-COVID uh, or the, just the direction in general? I'm fortunate to have a unique of everything, being that I am here because of Boomer's son. Um, I don't have immediate family you know, from the disease. I learned to be sympathetic and empathetic, all the to the disease when 
guy was diagnosed. So while you consider Gunner family and, and Boomer family, sometimes I'm able to take a little bit of a different approach or look at things from a just from a different spot. And I think that helps you help everybody kind of look at what everybody is dealing with as opposed to, you know, people that are dealing with the, the pediatrics that are, you know, having the same issues or the mental health issues that an adolescent might have. Really, you've got to be laser focused what your child or on what you personally need. And that takes up, from what I've learned, it takes up so much time in your lives. And it would, it, again, it'd be unrealistic for me or anyone to think that you'd be able to see everything out there. It also gives the opportunity um, as a person that can, can see everything from the outside sometimes to yell and scream at a politician because they're not going to look at me and say, well, you're just trying to take care of your kid. No, I'm not. I'm trying to take care and help everybody take care of their kids or take care of their siblings. So shut up and listen. And there are no repercussions from that for me. And that may be the, the best thing I can offer is to be able to say and do what you guys would like to say and do, but don't have the platform that Boomer has afforded me to be able to have with his name. So if I bring an issue that maybe one or none of us are working on and everybody's attention, I, I think collectively we've had very good luck being able to decipher the main point of what the issue is and address it. And I can tell from experience there aren't too many groups out there, CF, not CF, corporate America, government, that can actually do that. So I, I, I think it's the back and forth that we all have that enables me what I can do and enables you guys to do what you can do. I guarantee you there's not a single other HSC group in the world sitting here doing what we're doing right now. Well, and it's I, fascinating because, you know, we do a lot of advocacy together. We all have these um, direct service programs and sometimes there is overlap like Emily and Brian you talked about the exercise thing I mean Boomer Science and Foundation is doing the acceptance and commitment therapy um, mental health programming we underwrite counseling services across the country so there's there's overlap but we're each very unique and we can refer one to another and I guess what I really appreciate about appreciate about all of us is that not one of us thinks we own the disease not one of us has the answer not uh, you know that it's the sense that you know you don't want to have just like one restaurant to choose from or one shoe store and you might shop at many of them but that people we all have a place and we all have as I said people who may engage with all of us but then some members who are really our specific community with our organizations and I think that's what's so important about all this that people can find their place to engage and get what they need and feel community and connection um, and then, like Lee said, we just, we end up strengthening one another and dovetailing instead of fighting and, um, you know, trying to define our turf very territorially. We don't do that. <laughs> well, back to what you said, it's, um, you know, when I, I go to night or when I'm working on something and it's, you know, it's, all right, how will this affect the Benell girls? How will this affect it? How will this affect Brian? You know, how will this affect Tess? How does this affect very... And what is Jerry going to come back on me that I missed? Or what is Emily going to 
come back and say, well, what, why doing this or, or, you know, this isn't an issue, but this is, you know, it's a matter of really, you know, having, and, and I do, I have the, the I emphasize with everybody here for what everybody's dealing with, whether themselves or with their kids. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I, there are no words to explain that feeling. Look at Emily now. And Emily looks as healthy as I've ever seen her. Brian looks as goofy and as healthy as I've ever seen her. <laughs> Jerry's, look at Jerry. I mean, he, he's, you know. I'm 23. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think now seeing things happening means that all of us did something right. It's really get harder for us to overcome the challenges that come from people thinking that CF is taken care of and CF is done. Um, that may be the hardest fight to have. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I was so thrilled when TriCafta was approved, obviously, thrilled with all the press that it got, right? It brought so much attention to CF. And yet, absolutely, my immediate fear was, wow, this is really making it seem like it's a cure. It's not. Even right. for the people who can use it, it's not. And then the 10% who are still waiting. And, and I have to say what is really... I mean, so for us organizationally, I think that impacts us because people who may have been responding to this sense of urgency are now maybe a little more complacent about lending their support. Um, and then, you know, circling back to COVID-19, what really concerns me is that these other companies that do have these really exciting clinical trials going on for that 10% that cannot use the CFTR modulators, many of them are putting their trials on hold because they cannot be doing their lab work, they can't have people coming in um, for the testing. So I'm just holding my breath that we can get through this so we can relaunch all these other trials. And if we don't do it, nobody else is. Mm -hmm. And I think also, you know, one of the, the values that I've found in this, this partnership is not just the group calls, but even the, the one-off calls that we have with each other. And, and uh, you know, when we have questions about how, how could I maybe do this better or how am I what am I missing in, in thinking about it this way? I remember my first phone call with Jerry. Um, I think it was back in like 2008, 2009. I, I was in the hospital and talked to you on the phone from the hospital bed. Was I nice? you know, um, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but, I, but you helped me a lot. And I was, you know, trying to figure out how to do our recreation grant program. And at the time, we had just targeted on, you know, adolescents and young adults and after talking with you, it was the same realization that you brought to BEF of like, there's a whole adult population that needs help. And it, and it reshaped our program about, you know, lifting those, those age barriers that we had. And, you know, I, I think as, as we're thinking about the impact of Trikafta and how much it is helping the lungs of people with CF, it's, it's you know, been in our boardroom conversation of how much need is there to continue our full focus on exercise? Are there other needs evolving? Some of the conversation in the community about, am I going to be too healthy to qualify for my benefits? Am I going to lose my benefits because I'm too healthy? What am I going to do about going back to work when I haven't worked in the past 12, 15 years? And so are there needs around reshaping our program? And, and again, in collaboration, I, know, I think, Emily, you and I talked about this a while ago of, you know, creating some type of like job training assistance, resume building, like 
helping people get back to the workforce. Um, you know, so the needs and the landscape of CF continues to change and continues to evolve. And something that warms my heart the most about this partnership is, and I'm, I'm bummed that Emily kramer Golenkoff isn't here because Emily is in that last 10%. And she has become my friend and someone that directly connects me emotionally to that 10%. And, um, you know, to see all of us collectively now turning the focus of all our organizations to really embrace that, that last 10% and, and embrace that push to get a treatment for that sector of the CF population. It wouldn't have happened for me without this group. So it's been really powerful um, from, you know, a long time ago to even just current day conversations. Just going off of that too, is this group, we give each other strength. Every single one of you has had a huge impact on my foundation and getting it growing. Anytime I've ever asked Emily, can you, can you put this on Facebook to all your people? Because, you know, I don't have that many. And she was always like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And she always did that. And all of you have, all of you have done whatever you could to help our foundation grow. And I, I've called all of you at some point for advice. So I just think there's so much strength in all of us together. It's just been wonderful. And I know we could probably talk for two more hours, but um, I know everybody has to get back to their business. So I guess just one last question. What are your challenges now in the midst of this pandemic with your foundations? For example, Emily, you can talk about this, but you know, you had a huge race you had to go virtual on it. I'm planning a virtual event in September. What's the good that we're going to make out of this pandemic mess? Yes, yeah, so we canceled our 10th annual half marathon that was supposed to happen March 29th, which was a huge bomber because it's our largest fundraising event, our largest awareness event. We have about 2,400 runners that come in from all over the country. We had to cancel it and people were pretty mad, but once we canceled, then like, Boston Marathon uh, postponed and all other races, you know, we're beginning to cancel or postpone. So it kind of like chilled the runners out a little bit. So now we're facing the challenge of we still have the shirts and medals that we have to distribute to these people. So I wake up every morning like, what's the best way to do this? Once they say we can go back to work, quote unquote, like we're not just going to flip a switch and everyone's going to show up and pick up packets. So I'm constantly thinking like how we're going to distribute them. And I got a good idea for that. But I mean, our July race, we're going to have to cancel because uh, we're not going to have the numbers we need. And I don't think people will be ready to come join 600 other runners face to face. So I think there'll be some hesitation for people, not just in the CF community, but in general about getting together again in large groups. So we're going to have to rethink how we even do our events, right? With a race with 2,400 runners, we might have to start 100 runners at a time and space them out by two minutes, right? So there might be new angles on how we just operate events. So the good thing is, I mean, the running community and CF community really came together when we went virtually. We ended up only being down a couple hundred runners. Uh, People really came together, signed up their entire families for the virtual. So that was really cool to see. But now we're facing challenges of funding, like everyone else, nonprofit, for-profit, funding is a huge issue unless you own Netflix or uh, Hulu. I mean, it's really tough. So, and Zoom, yeah, Zoom and Amazon, Amazon, dang it. But um, I think uh, having you guys who are going through it also um, on varying levels, at least we'll have each other to kind of, as we have in the past, uh, give each other 
opportunities on funding that you may have heard of that we don't know about. So we share great ideas and resources, which is only going to be important um, as ever coming up here. You know, as I'm putting together this virtual event for September that was going to be an in-person gathering of 200 people at a venue, now we're going to do it virtually. But then I thought, well, now all the CF people can come virtually. So that's a benefit. That's a plus. And then Siri can come from California, even though maybe you couldn't have flown in in September, et cetera. Um, So, Jerry, what about you? Well, at the foundation, uh, as a volunteer, uh, an advocate, you know, like Emily, we're experiencing a lot of events that have been canceled, trying to reschedule them. But, you know, there was a lot of financial losses due to the booming celebration, run to breathe, and so on and so forth. But... You know, I've been working with Lee and, you know, the goal is that we have to reinvent ourselves. We're working on some new programs uh, and just to be safe about it. I mean, there's nothing more that you can do. I mean, it is what it is right now. And hopefully we're all going to get through it and be safe and healthy. But in the meantime, you know, being at home, you know, we have to work on new programs and just reinvent. And I think we have some of those things, formulas pretty much set now. It's just about implementing them. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm not excited about what's going on. I feel like a caged animal here, but I think things will be better for the CF community as we move forward and out of this pandemic. Because I think what's most important with people with CF is to be independent, to be compliant, and to be as normal as possible. Back me up, Leif. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing everything. We're doing everything we can, and it's uh, you know, it, it's, the first thing is we've got to reschedule events. Um, it could not worse. Yeah, I mean, obviously the financial impact is is pretty horrible. Um, that I think we're all feeling across the board. Um, but I, I I love your question too, Laura, about you know what are the opportunities here? And I think as we we talked about earlier, the 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 public awareness about um, health caution and preventative measures. Uh, I mean, you just look at the general flu and and how much this flu season has almost been eradicated because of the social distancing. I I think people were largely ignorant to the the little simple things that really can help prevent um, everyone being safe. And astounded to see people out in public wearing masks. You know, it's just like a a common practice now that I used to always feel weird being in public wearing a mask. And now everyone's like, wow, where'd you get that cool mask? And it's like, I've had it for years, you know? <laughs> so I think the, the public awareness element about social distancing and, and how that relates to CF, because it's such a unique element of our disease. And people are starting to realize how important just one little bug can, can affect their whole lives. I think there's a lot of opportunity here that um, has been at the forefront of the CF community for the general public's realization of, of this disease. I, I agree with that 100%, and I try not to be cynical. <laughs> you know, when I see the people protesting now about being, you know, clustering all together to protest the stay-at-home mandates, um, I have a little concern. It's the, the, the conflicts within our culture, but I do hope, yes, that a huge percentage have lifelong lessons that move forward from this. And, you know, I am just seconding everything. We're obviously canceling events. Our conference is a huge national conference every summer. It's a huge thing. We're 
making that all virtual. Um, we have a mother's retreat uh, for mothers of children with CF. Laura was going to fly yep. out in the this year. So we're doing this now virtually with you know, little workshops for chances for people to get to know one another. Interestingly enough, we have an, a retreat for adults with CF and we are different from some groups in that adults with CF can come together at events, obviously with we have a list of safety precautions and protocols. But that was the group that was the the last to let go of like canceling the event. And I think that speaks to the fact how hungry we really are ultimately for human contact and how much better it is when we can be in the room together. So it'll be really interesting moving forward to see broader use of virtual events and ways to feel connected virtually, but also how, when will there be that ability to come together again? Because I, I think ultimately we'll, we will always want that as humans and then specifically within our disease group and our community that it's a, it's a blessing when we get to be in the same room. It is. And with that, I think we'll wrap up this podcast, but it's been wonderful to see you on Zoom and to do this podcast that way so that we could see each other. But I can't wait till we can all be in the same room together. Thank you all for Thank you. Talking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Laura. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we're going to let you listen in to some of the conversation we had before we started the podcast. Just a couple of outtakes, just some fun that we were having. We hope you enjoy it. Oh, hello. Oh, you know what I've done since I saw you people last? I've put every photo I've ever taken on and now we can go to Belle Isle. Yes. Presque Isle. Nice. <laughs> My girls. Nice. It's freaking fantastic. How did you do that? Scarab Club. My mom's artwork. Yes. Nice. Famous. Famous. Remember this? That's great. <laughs> Is that the <laughs> balcony? Yeah. Wait, here we are. Yeah, all you do is when you go on there, you hit the yeah. little plus button. Okay. And you can add anything that's on your computer. Well, that could get good. I could yeah. Do. Wait, oh, Em, I thought that uh, Golden Gate picture you took, because I took the exact same yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's mine. You Copyright infringement. <laughs> oh, well, I, got, I got a palm tree behind me. How do I get rid of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a natural setting. Wow, Lee, that beard's getting long. Yeah, David. Maybe next week. <laughs> Everybody's got a beard or that, like, all my nephews shaved their heads for the COVID. I've got a mullet. <laughs> I, I took scissors and just cut randomly. Oh. <laughs> Brian looks like a fan. <laughs> looks like he's got the little hairdo going and everything. My hair is insane. I got to, like, put oil in it to keep the afro down. <laughs> wow. uh. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, check us out online at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. Or follow us on social at the Bonnell Foundation.